Welcome to Healthcare Happenings, a One Digital Employer Advisory Podcast. It's no secret that healthcare is complicated and to prepare for the road ahead, business leaders need transparency and access to information in order to develop the best health benefit strategy. Our team of compliance leaders are here to shed light on the latest developments on the Hill and share their collective vision for ways to improve the healthcare experience. Welcome back to our latest episode. So joining me at our regulars, Samantha Molliver, Scott Wham, Ron Bargassi, we're here to talk about today. Um, we want to really touch on the vaccines. We've been getting so many questions from employers about vaccines. Can I mandate them? Should I mandate them? I don't know what it is I'm supposed to do with them or with my employees. I'm having some issues. I'm anticipating issues with employees. Where do we stand? What do we do? So we want to take today's episode and really kind of focus in. And we brought in a couple of our subject matter experts on our team here. So we have Jamie Webb Akasaka and Sarah Burns with us today. So thanks, you guys, for joining us. I know you've been so active in this area and in looking at everything. So I thought maybe um, you we could start by having you lay out for us what are the guidelines today? What are we being told? Uh, what are employers? What should they know about the vaccines overall? And um, maybe we can just start with that as a baseline. I think that'd be great. So, um, Sarah, you want to start off? Yeah, sure. So we've been getting a lot of questions on incentives um, first. And then more recently, we've been getting questions on changes to health plan designs and how that may promote vaccinations. On the incentives, there's a good amount of guidance from the EEOC. They've got a very detailed, robust website that goes through a lot of different questions on incentives. Um, But generally, if an employee goes out and gets vaccinated on their own, whether that's through their doctor or pharmacy or public health department, um, and they volunteer that status to their employer, the EEOC has said unlimited incentives. So cash, paid time off, you know, as, as, as much as you want. If the vaccination is done, you know, on site, um, or through an employer's agent, then there are limits on the incentives. It's, it's, you know, legal language, which we don't have very clear guidance on, but the standard is um, not so substantial as to be coercive. So really that means that participation would be effectively involuntary. So, you know, I think of it as, say, someone who is a lower wage worker and the vaccination incentive to get the vaccination on site would be, you know, $500 or, or something that would be a, a large uh, part of their of their wages. So that's really the scope of the incentive questions that we've been getting. And then looking yeah, at... Yeah. yeah, when I think about those incentives too, and then there are other benefits, uh, how that plays out with maybe your wellness incentives. Does that fall and does that play hand in hand with wellness incentives too on your health plan? Yeah, so that's that's sort of within the scope of the other questions that we've been getting um, on whether you can either just exclude unvaccinated from eligibility under the plan, which you can't, um, but then putting it through uh, a a wellness program. I think that's what you're getting at, Annette. Yeah, I think yeah, oh, I do just have this. Uh, for yeah, all of you that can't see me, I have this horrified look on my face, like excluding people from your own plan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say it's kind of akin to like flu shots, you know, when you give out the yep. incentives or gift cards, you know, or you reduce the premiums for those who go get the flu shot. 
So if you're going to be tying kind of the premium dollars to those who get vaccinated, um, you've kind of created this health contingent wellness plan. So you need to be aware of the wellness rules. So you may have inadvertently, you know, created an ERISA plan. So you have to comply with all the ERISA requirements. Um, then, as Sarah mentioned, there are limits, you know, for how much you can make that incentive. And those are also kind of in flux with the EEOC kind of pulling back its rules related to those wellness programs under the ADA. Um, I often think I'm like, for kind of touching on those protected classes of the ADA and Title VII religious objections, what would be a kind of a reasonable accommodation? I know we've gotten the question of, you know, if they can't get the vaccine, what would be a reasonable accommodation for them to still obtain that reward or that incentive? Jamie, Jamie, you focus on with employers and you're, you focus on the employment law side. So you have um, all of the human resources folks fig, trying to figure out what to do. And, you know, so, uh, you know, what's your advice to them and, and what Zane was just talking about? For the wellness rule, so it really kind of depends on how your plan is set up and whether, you know, you make it um, a mandatory kind of thing in order to get the incentive um, or different sort of rules for what type of accommodations you may have to do. In other words, if somebody isn't capable of participating because of their uh, protected status, um, you know, they may have to get the reward anyways, um, you know, if it's kind of a mandatory situation. If you make it more of a voluntary type situation, like if you want to participate, um, you you should try to allow people to get the benefit by doing something else. So like say they can't get vaccinated because they have a health condition that prevents them from doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe they have to watch a video on being safe in the workplace with COVID, um, you know, ways that you can do that so that you can also qualify for the benefit in that way. So it really oh, yeah. kind of depends and you have to sort of structure accordingly. Oh, that makes sense. Jamie, don't you also think, though, back to Sarah's earlier point, you want to look at those options carefully, because if you do the healthcare plan incentive, it may not reach the level of economic value that will incent anybody to, to react. So, so you, again, you have to judge in that context. Yeah, and yeah, in terms of the amount. Go ahead. <laughs> No, no, go ahead. Sarah. I was going to say with that, maybe you want to reach up. If you're going to quote unquote make this program, is it only for those who are participating in the health plan? How do you reach those other employees that are not participating in the health plan? And it's incremental too, right? If you're looking to get wide vaccinations across your workforce quickly, adding on a little bit on the premiums every month, it's, it's going to be a, a slower impact rather than you know, the mandate or mandate now or a large incentive now. Yeah. Um, so you've got like, I think there's a couple of, I feel like there's a couple of elements that uh, have sort of shaped this for many employers. So number one would be uh, how much, how much of your workforce is already vaccinated. Right. Um, and then, uh, so I think that's that's a significant part. And also what the, you know, what is it that they're doing too? You know, what kind of work is there? I, I think there's all these variables, right? So um, I know we were talking earlier about, um, you know, when you have 
you have folks who actually contract COVID, that there are now, because you have to vaccinate people and unvaccinate, that there are some differences in some of those quarantining rules, right? So, Scott, you were talking about that. Do you, can, you, can you reestablish what those are for us, too? With the yeah, so, so, I mean, at the outset, I, I think it's worth saying that uh, uh, we understand that employers are balancing maintaining a job site with making sure they have a workforce, right? And and that's the, the, the major challenge that when I talk to employers who are, who are wrestling with what are we going to do uh, with a vaccine policy, their major concern is that they're going to lose employees who don't want to be vaccinated. They're going to walk out and then, you know, what do we do then? Um, yeah. which, is, which is a legitimate concern. Um, one thing that's really important, though, uh, when I consult with employers on these considerations, and I, I don't pretend to have the answers that you're, you might be much better off talking to Jamie, Sarah and Samantha on some of these issues. But, um, but, but when I do talk to my, 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 my clients about this, I just want to make sure they're quantifying the risk appropriately, what the financial risk, what the cultural risk is within the organization, make sure they just have all the variables on the table. And one of the variables that gets lost sometimes in the shuffle is, is the variable indifference in quarantine expectations for individuals who are vaccinated versus those individuals who are unvaccinated. Um, we all, I, I don't want to presume, but a lot of us lived and breathed 2020 from a human capital management perspective when individuals who came in close contact with COVID somebody who tests positive for COVID before the vaccine was even on the table had to be sent home for up to 14 days to quarantine. There were some caveats for being released by a medical provider receiving a negative test after X number of days. Those rules have not changed for the unvaccinated. Those rules are still very much in place. There have been a couple tweaks where if somebody has had COVID within the past few months um, and, and they've been in close contact and they're unvaccinated, uh, they may be able to avoid avoid some of the stricter quarantine expectations. But as a business owner, what you you need to be aware that there is a cost differential between having somebody who's unvaccinated versus somebody who is vaccinated. If the unvaccinated individual comes in close contact with someone who has COVID, they are expected to quarantine for up to 14 days or uh, up, uh, up to uh, seven days if they get a, ne- a negative COVID test after seven days or after 10 days. Um, they, they still are manifest exhibiting those symptoms. They're able to maybe cut that quarantine a little short. It's usually best practice to have a, a, a medical professional release the individual back. Somebody who's vaccinated, just to draw a distinction, is only required to quarantine if they exhibit symptoms. They're expected to get tested and they're expected to mask up for up to 14 days. They're expected to get tested three to five days after their exposure and then they're expected to mask up for the for the remainder of that 14-day period, but they are still able to work unless they exhibit symptoms. That's a major productivity differentiator between the yeah. two populations. I'm not saying that that's determinative, but it is something that I, I, I haven't really seen covered out there that gets yeah. lost in the shuffle is that those rules are still very much in place. Well, that's for sure a, a consideration for employers who are really worrying about their workforce and being able to do business, right? So in thinking about 
um, you know, what would stop production basically versus what could potentially continue production even in the event of an, you know, even well, we just, if we have a COVID event. We, we yeah. just lived it last year where we had some clients, especially in the Northeast where Sarah and I are, um, uh, we, we, we had some clients that had individuals who had to be sent home multiple times who never exi- who never exhibited symptoms, but they were in close contact with an individual. And this is before a vaccine existed. You know, we tend to just, this is such a new experience for all of us. We tend to think one exposure and we're done, but theoretically you could be exposed God knows how many times and you might have to be sent home who knows how many times. And, uh, and, and we did have that where the same employee was sent home multiple times and never tested positive for COVID because the vaccine didn't exist. That, if that individual is still unvaccinated, that still could happen to that individual and employers are expected to follow those guidelines. All right. So now where are we? I feel like for for employers that are listening now, they're like, no, I, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. But um, one, I, I want to add one other another element in here. Let's let's just pile on for a minute. Um, a few more things. Um, uh, or considerations, right? So, number one, there's all of these things that you have to consider and kind of weigh in your in your specific circumstance. But I think another one is really um, you touched on it, Scott, is the business risk. So there is, you know, you are responsible for keeping a safe workplace. I don't know, Jamie, if you want to talk a little bit about um, maybe your thoughts about. What is it? What does safety in the workplace mean? And like, well, who is who governs that? And and where else might you be checking? Yeah, those are great questions, Annette. So, um, you know, we kind of live in sort of a multi-layered, um, you know, governance society, right? So you have at the federal level, you have OSHA, which you know employers must comply with, right? Everybody, every employer is required to provide a safe work environment for their employees. Um, you know, whatever that may be, if, you know, somebody wants to mandate the vaccine, somebody doesn't want to mandate the vaccine, whatever that looks like, you need to be taking steps to keep your employees safe, right? If that's masks, partition, social distancing, you know, there's a whole host of strategies out there at this time now um, for employers to use. So, you know, that's first and foremost. Then you have, um, you know, at the state level, right? Some states have been taking, um, action to require specifically those in the healthcare industry to get vaccinated if they want to be able to continue to work and operate uh, because they, you know, the state governments view that as a, um, you know, as, as a vulnerable area where people can, you know, get seriously harmed or, um, you know, become seriously sick with the virus and have it spread and all those kinds of things. Um, and that varies from state to state, right? So there's that level. And then you may have, um, in some instances, uh, certain things at the local level as well that may vary from the specific states where um, in some states that don't want to require masks, some localities are. And you got to look at all of those requirements as well. So whatever, when you're looking at sort of this big picture, which ones do I follow? I don't know. The answer is really all of them, <laughs> you know, so because you can't just pick and choose and say, well, I follow what OSHA said. Yeah, like but your state one. said you also had to do this, right? You, you really yeah. have to provide the most protection that is required of you to your employees across all of those components. So it's, it is definitely complex, but you got to be looking at each piece. 
So I love what you just said about the most, like, take the most, if you, if you gather up all those things, federal, state, but all the, pick the most conservative one and go with it. (laughs) Yeah. That could be our best advice. Ron, what are you going to? Yeah, I, I would probably, if I had to sum all this up, yeah. uh, the only thing that's different now is business. There's not as much data with this as they have in other repetitious type management decisions. So the bottom line is you probably can't let COVID run your business, but yeah. you have to run your business considering the COVID issues. And there are certain things you can and can't do. And beyond that, you have to run that business the best you know how using the best data that you have yeah annette you know um sarah actually helped helped us out with a question last week that um is 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 potentially worth bringing up um one of one of the employers that we work with had a town hall meeting and an employee raised their hand who was very concerned about who bears liability. I'm sorry, the client, the employer was implementing a mandatory vaccination program. They are requiring vaccines. And the employee was very concerned that employers and uh, the pharmaceutical companies have some pretty robust shields against liability for adverse events relative to uh, 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 receiving a vaccine that are that are identified and warned and properly warned and properly labeled, and now with the with the uh, FDA approval, that window closes even more with what would be recognized as an adverse impact. And an employee was concerned. Um, Sarah, do you mind sharing just some of the thoughts that you shared with, with, if I with can our, remember. our client <laughs> I think, on, on, I I on the to, workers, the workers comp yeah, implications? Look, so I looked to this was a, an employer in New Jersey. So we looked to New Jersey workers compensation law and considering that the, the vaccination is required in the course of employment and there's an injury based on that vaccination, then likely workers comp would cover that. I think there was a case um, back to the flu vaccine or some vaccine in the early 1900s that is on point there. But yeah, generally workers comp law would cover it. And that's and that's the same standard for COVID cases that are contracted exactly. on the job site, job exactly. site as well. Um, right. It would take it would take a major evidentiary showing to get a COVID case outside of workers' compensation um, into some form of negligence or 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 some form of even an intentional tort. But um, one of the variables that is important for, I think, employers who go down the road of a mandatory uh, uh, vaccine program um, is to a be prepared for that workers' comp angle and make sure they're familiar with what with how a vaccine under their state laws could impact workers' comp liability. Might be worth the discussion with your property and casualty consultant. Um, two is there is a fund established under under the federal government for reimbursing individuals who experience a a, a serious health consequence from a government approved, I'm using air quotes right now, countermeasure. And the fund is called, um, it's called the Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program. So remember, pharmaceutical companies and employers are generally shielded from this, but that doesn't mean that there isn't an avenue for an employee who has a negative adverse event to explore if they want to seek some form of compensation. And um, this this fund was established for Ebola, for Zika, for anthrax, for smallpox. Uh, Thank goodness that that's an outlier these days. But COVID-19 was added to this list. So if you're an employer who goes down that road and hosts a town hall, 
and you get that question from an employee, which is a great question from that employee, um, keep in mind that this fund exists and you can reference to say, hey, look, there are protections for us. There's protections for a pharmaceutical company, but the government has established a fund where if you have a severe negative a negative uh, health event after receiving the vaccine, that you can pursue uh, a, a, some, type of comedy, some, some type of recovery. So um, there is actually... Um, really quick in it. There is actually one caveat to that. Um, and it actually, um, it was just brought up in a New Jersey case in the last uh, month or two, month or two, where um, in a situation where somebody uh, did not go through that interactive process that is required by the ADA and many state, um, you know, disability protective laws, um, where the person uh, it was not vaccine related or COVID related at all, but the person um, had a medical condition. It was not accommodated, did not go through workers comp. I mean, excuse me, did not go um, through the interactive process. And they had uh, an incident at work as a result where the person got injured. The person went through workers comp, got that, um, you know, protection there as well or recovery. But the court said that because the employer didn't go through that interactive process, they could pursue civil um, litigation remedies and things like that. So one thing to keep in mind for employers is you do have that protection, but be sure to follow the rules um, so that you don't expose yourself to more, right? That, that's a great point. When I say when I say the client that we are working with implemented a mandatory vaccine program, uh, inclusive in that is that they're aware of the need to make reasonable accommodations for individuals who are protected by the ADA or have a closely held religious exemption under Title VII. Um, but the individual exactly. who asked the, the individual who asked the question was outside of both of, was outside of both of those. Um, <laughs> but uh, but but that's a great point. It's a great caveat. Yeah. So so in kind of if we can kind of start to wrap this discussion up. Um, there's been a lot of really good points brought up, things to and considerations for employers. But um, if you can leave employers with one thought, one thing that they should be considering, what would that be? What do you say, Jamie? Well, I think the main thought is really just kind of back to the point about OSHA, right? You know, whichever route you want to take in the level of requirements or incentives or things that you're offering within your organization, um, whatever it is, it always should be with an eye to ensure that you are taking adequate measures to protect your workforce. So, you know, I think, and that, and that could be unique depending on your industry, your location, all kinds of factors can go into that for sure. But, but really taking the time to look at it rather than just saying, oh, our area doesn't require that, so I don't have to do it. You know, I think it really should be a more thoughtful process where you're looking at what do I need to do to keep my place safe so I can stay operational, right? That's kind of where yeah. you want to end up. You want to be operational and in a good spot moving forward. Excellent. Scott, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, just to piggyback on what Jamie said, I, I agree 100% with everything she just said. It's it's, it's really, um, in, in my opinion, uh, keeping in mind that for the unvaccinated, nothing has changed. 
Um, very, I don't want to say nothing. Very little has changed with what the expectations are under the, the relevant regulatory bodies uh, with how employers are supposed to treat their work, work, workforce on site. That means social distancing. It means masking. It means sanitation. It means all of those things. So um, just keep in mind that if you if you go down, if you do have a sizable population that is unvaccinated, which is going to be a ton of our clients and a lot of the employers that we work with, um, uh, just keep in mind that the, the expectation is still that you're keeping a safe work site and you're following the most up-to-date guidance on that front. So uh, I, there's a tendency to think we're kind of through this and it's over. We're, it's very much still playing the same game that we played in 2020 for the unvaccinated populations. Awesome. Sarah. Yeah, I think if you are considering an unvaccinated surcharge, we have some guidance out there on the website, but also just tread lightly, which is what our guidance kind of walks through and look towards incentives. If it's if you have an employee who went out and got vaccinated on their own, think about really big, really tempting incentives because the EEOC has said those are good and unlimited. Excellent. Samantha, that's uh, I don't know much to add. I mean, these three experts in front of me, I mean, uh, you know, it's really, yeah, reach out to us at One Digital. I mean, we're here to help you guys. Um, and, like, you know, I feel like this area is evolving at some, you know, pace. So the EEOC, OSHA, CC, they all have, you know, great guidance out on their website. And if you guys have any questions about it, reach out to us. We can help you hopefully understand what it's trying to say. Yeah. Ron, your parting thoughts? Uh, just that this is another variable that business has to manage. And I think well-run companies already have the OSHA issues in place and so forth. So I, I wouldn't get distracted as much as there are a few uh, requirements that we know, and you know whether you have to put somebody in test or not. Follow those simple things. Make sure you have a fair workplace, but run your business and and take what it takes to have a successful uh, business down the road, as opposed to focusing on this as the primary interest. Excellent. So I love that. So are you, am I protecting my workforce for the unvaccinated? I should still be following the same rules and watch for any rule changes that come forward. Um, if I'm going to do a, a surcharge, I need to watch, uh, I need to tread lightly. Incentives are much better than penalties. Um, and then um, we've got great resources here to lean on and, you know, consider what's to come, not just what's right in front of you, I think, as you think about the perpetuation of your business. So with that, thank you all. It was really great, uh, Jamie and Sarah, having you. And of course, Always wonderful to spend time with uh, Sam, Scott, and Ron. So thanks all, and um, we'll talk to you next time. And thank you all for tuning in. Staying on top of compliance today can be the source of great concern and frustration. Our dedicated team of attorneys and experts look around the corner on your behalf and deliver the tools, education, and resources needed to help you plan for the future and protect your employees and business every day. You can access additional resources, employer advisory sessions, and podcasts on our website, onedigital.com. Stay safe and healthy, and we'll see you next time.